end of time in bringing deliverance for those who followed him. Then we looked at the time in the garden as Jesus prayed and then he was arrested and about how his calling on our lives is to live a life of nonviolence, to be peaceful, to be peacemakers, uh, and to uh, help life move forward in a positive way with God's abiding love. And then last week we noticed and looked at the crucifixion where Jesus spoke to different groups of people. One, as he was on his way to the, to the cross, uh, to the group of women, warning them about uh, some things. And then he spoke to the guys on the cross in the place where he was crucified. And then we saw where he was buried in a borrowed tomb just around the corner from uh, the place of crucifixion. Now we come to what is often called Easter Sunday, but I, I really prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday because that's what happened. That's what happened on this day that we remind ourselves of. Did it happen on this Sunday in the year 33? We don't know exactly when it happened. We think it was in the spring. Uh, as they like to say in the Middle East or in Jerusalem, we were there. It's either here or if it's not here, it's near. If it's not now, it's nearby. It happened. And that's what he talks about in this passage. And, and, and with Saturday having falling, uh, fallen, uh, or traditional uh, Sabbath for the Jewish people, the day before, they couldn't complete the preparation for Jesus' burial. They had to hurriedly get him in the ground, hurriedly wrap him up, hurriedly put him behind this stone that they rolled along the channel that holds the rock in place and put him in there. And as we come to the passage in Luke 24, we come to the first day of the week. We think of it as... Sunday, but they would have thought about it as the first work day of the week because their Sabbath was on Saturday. And they come up that morning and some, a couple of ladies come to the tomb or they're headed that way to take care of what didn't get finished the night before the night that Jesus passed away. They're coming to complete burial rituals, to cut spices on the body. And you can imagine why they would put spices on the body, really to control the smell that could happen from the decay of a body. And they also were, I think, coming to mourn because Jesus died quickly within just six hours, though many would last on a cross for days. He was gone fast. And so they were wanting to mourn as well. Let's, let's pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 24. And it says this, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, meaning these ladies, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the st- uh, tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So here's what happened. That Jesus is not in the grave. Now you say, well, that doesn't prove he rose from the dead. I'll give you that one. But it is an empty tomb that morning. There is no body laying there. There are grave clothes to the side. There is no one there when you walk in. I've had the privilege to go. Uh, there's actually two different sites in, in Jerusalem where they mark the burial of Jesus. You're going two different sites. Well, you've got two different people. They sometimes come up with a different interpretation for the location. And I've got to tell you, there's not a body in either one of those. So it doesn't really matter which one you like. He's not there. He is not in the grave. So when the day dawns, the group of women who have witnessed this cruel crucifixion of Jesus are making their way to the tomb. They head out that way. They're going for one reason and one reason only. I believe they're coming primarily to complete the burial process for the dead Jesus. In their minds, he's gone. In their minds, he's not alive. In their minds, they don't expect to find anything but a body. I don't know about you, I don't usually go back to the cemetery after burying someone and say, let's dig it up and see if they're still there. But if you did, what would you find? Y'all with me? You'd find a body. They didn't find a body. 
I think they were also there to mourn the passing of their friend. But primarily they were there for body preservation. You're probably thinking, well, why didn't the funeral director take care of it? They didn't have funeral directors. Back in that day, families would actually take care of preparing bodies. Aren't y'all glad we have funeral directors now? I'm just telling you, I would not want to do that. But they would actually do the spices. They would do the wrapping. They would do the preservation process in there. But they had a stone in the way. They had a major obstacle in the stone, uh, in the stone that was in their way. Now, the stone, if you can imagine, was a cut stone that was shaped like a big disc, about this tall. And I'm not saying women are weak. It would have taken three or four guys to move it. It would have probably taken four or five women to move it. Maybe they thought they could move it. It was on a track that would make it easy, relatively speaking, to roll out of the way. So they were probably thinking, we can do it. It's not going to be easy, but we'll get it done. But the problem was they're carrying with them the spices. They're going to see a dead body. They're headed to this place and they get there at the tomb and they discover the stone has already been rolled away. Now, if you were with them, you're probably your first thought would be like mine. What's up? What happened? What's going on here? If you walked up to the cemetery and your loved one's grave had been opened again and you looked down and there's no casket, you'd go, what in the world has happened? That's their thought. And so they look in here thinking, what happened? Jesus is not here. He's not in this place. He's not in the place he's supposed to be. Something out of the ordinary has happened. This is not normal. And they don't find the friend that's buried in that place. They don't find a body in that place. What in the world is going on? Now, we learn from, learn from other accounts that his grave clothes have been laid, folded in one place and left in the other. And there, there's a shelf in those tombs that they would use. They didn't actually use caskets. They would just wrap in cloth. And when things were decayed, they would take what was left and put in a box, but they, 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 they're there. But here's what you understand. There's an intentionality about what Jesus has done. And at this moment, they're unsure what's happened, but it's very clear to them this, Jesus is not in the grave. Now, if you're with them and I'm with them, the word that the Bible uses, I think is a very good one. They use, he uses the word perplexed. Go ahead and throw the, the text up there for me. He uses the word perplexed. And while they were Perplexed. Do you ever get perplexed? I get perplexed all the time. I have three kids. I promise you, I get perplexed. I got a wife. I get perplexed, okay? I have an aging parent. I get perplexed a lot, okay? But they were perplexed about this situation. No body. Open tomb. And as they were standing there perplexed, behold, two men stood by them. Another one of the gospel accounts calls them angels. They probably were angels, but in the moment, and your mind is kind of going wild, you're not sure exactly what you see. Two men, as good as anything, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, what in the cat hair are you doing here? That's my East Texas paraphrase, okay? Y'all with me? Let's read the text. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in the Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words 
So as surprised and befuddled humans standing there, they look at what's supposed to be a tomb containing a dead body who's not there. They're thinking, what happened? Did somebody steal his body? What are they going to tell the other people? What are they going to tell the followers who are hiding out back in town? And as they're wrapping their rinds around this, these two guys show up, and, and, and it's believed to be angels. I, I, I tend to think that as well. But the women at the tomb react the same way most of us would have. They would have been terrified. I mean, it's already weird, and it just got weirder. It's already strange. It just got stranger, right? People standing in the graveyard talking to me. I don't know why they're talking to me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happened, what in the world. And in their minds, the women are thinking, my goodness, what are we going to do? But they didn't have to wait long. And I want you to go back to the text with me and look at it right there at the end of verse 5. They said, what? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Uh, Because that's where we bury dead people. They hadn't got it that he's alive. They haven't got it that they that something's happened yet. And he, they, they plainly tell him, he's not here. They're going, well, yeah, we kind of figured that out. Nobody was here when we came in. He's not here. But here's the important part for Easter and Resurrection Day. It's what? He has risen. He's not dead. Some of you are thinking to yourself, I don't believe that. We'll get to that in a minute. Some of you are thinking in your hearts and spirits who just rose a couple of notches and said, yeah, he's dead, he's alive. Because he's living where? He's living in me. He's alive. But here's the deal. He is not dead. He's risen. Remember how he told you. Remember remember Jesus told you he was going to do this. He said, what? He said, oh, yeah, I think he said something about that. You remember that? I think he said that. He was going to rise from the dead. Well, we didn't really believe him. We thought he was like being metaphorical and, you know, spiritual about it all. We don't understand that. When he's up in the Galilee, he said the Son of Man has to be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified on the third day rise. And it was like a light came on. Oh, yeah. He's alive. He came with comprehensive answer, didn't he? The women didn't were asked why they were looking for a dead body. They weren't supposed to be looking for a dead body. He was supposed to be alive. They didn't get it yet. The angels remind them what Jesus said. He's going to be crucified. He's going to rise the third day. This should have been no shock to the ladies when they walk up to the tomb. The disciples should have been right there with them going, Look, we knew it was going to happen. It's been the third day. He's going to be alive. But the point of the proclamation is this. Jesus is not dead. And while they had watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus carry Jesus' dead body to the tomb, they made a conclusion that day, we won't see him again. But they were wrong. Could it be true? Could it be true? Can it be re- Is this real? This seems so surreal to us. How can this happen? Could it be that he's alive? Come on down in verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all those these things to the eleven. That's the disciples that are still alive. Remember, Judas has taken his life at this point. And to all the rest, the other followers have gathered together. And we find out who went out there that day. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. And remember, there's two Jameses in the apostles. There's a there's the James the Lesser, and I believe that's who it is. And the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, and they said, praise God, he's alive. Look at the text. But these words seem to be to them what? 
an idle tale. That can't be. And they did not believe. This is the word in the Greek language for faith. They did not have faith at this point. They didn't really get it at this point. They don't understand. Some of you are there with them this morning, aren't you? You're going, I don't know if I really believe that stuff. I've heard this church stuff all my life. I've heard people talk about it. I just don't know how that could happen. People don't rise from the dead, do they? Jesus is not yet believed. There's no physical remains in the tomb. Nobody, uh, no work to be done. The women leave. They head back and tell the disciples what's going on. They come to the place they're hanging out and they go, I I can't, you're not going to believe what we just found. And they go, you're right. We're not going to believe. Seems like idle tales, foolish talk, old wives tales, something. Remember, the city's been in uproar the last few days because of the death of this prophet Jesus. They've just finished Passover. This is the first day after Passover. So they're now able to travel. Those who've come to the city, they're able to start leaving. The roads are starting to get filled with not cars, but with people traveling. And things are beginning to return to normal. But then comes word. Something's happened at the graveyard. Something's happened at the tomb. Jesus is nowhere to be found. There's angels out there talking. These men are going, oh my goodness, I bet they're coming to get us next. I believe with all of my heart the disciples really believe that they were the next people to be arrested. Their leader's been arrested and crucified. Why wouldn't they be? And they're hiding and waiting. And the women come back with these reports. He's not there. We ran into these angels that told us he's alive and we're not sure what to do. But we find in the text, it's very plain. Look at those last couple of words in verse 11. They did not, what? Believe. You're going, I thought everybody in the Bible believed in Jesus. Hang on. They didn't believe here. They didn't believe that he's alive. They didn't believe that this is a real situation. They're very skeptical that he could even be alive. They expected Jesus to be one way. How was that? Dead. But now he's what? Not there. And the claim is he's alive. How could that be? Is it possible that he's alive? Jesus was busy fulfilling the plans that God had for him, as we see. And then I came to verse 12, and I want you to see this because I think this is where we enter the story in earnest. Look at verse 12. But Peter, Peter's one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, by the way, outside of Jesus, because he has this penchant for doing what I do, or maybe I have a penchant for doing what he did. Sticking his foot in his mouth, okay? Saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I I wish that was a spiritual gift because I have it, okay? But it's not, all right? But here it is. But Peter, the guy that loves to stick his foot in his mouth, loves to do kind of knucklehead things sometimes, rose and ran to the tomb. Somebody just said he's alive. What were you going to do? Take their word for it? I'm going to go check it out. He gets to the tomb and he stoops and looks in and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Now get this. This is an important word. We're going to contrast it with another word in a second. He went home, what? Marveling. You all with me? Marveling. What does marveling imply? Does that mean that you believe, don't believe? Actually, it doesn't give us any clue, does it? I can marvel at something that's completely crazy. You know, with me, I do it all the time. You do too. But he's marveling at what happened. 
in this moment. He looks into this place. So the, the reports come. They're out there. There's a, and, 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 and one of the reports is recorded here. The other one's over in John's Gospel. We're not going to take the time to read it. But what we find is over the other account is that John was with him, and he stopped at the door. But Peter actually ran in after he stooped. He looked around, and he goes, I'm amazed. Peter leaves marveling. If you read over in John, what you find is that John doesn't marvel. You with me? It says he believed. He believed. So what we have in this moment is, to me, is just fascinating because it's people, it's humanity, it's how we are. You can get two people looking at the same situation, you'll come with a completely different conclusion. You've got Peter going, well, something happened. I'm not sure what. He doesn't yet believe. But John does. Both of these men have been followers of Jesus for several years. Both of them have watched miracle after miracle happen. They've watched thousands of people fed. They've watched people raised from the dead. Both of them have seen and experienced a lot. But when the moment comes, one marvels, one believes. See, Jesus... He's not in the grave. He's not dead. He's not yet believed. But he is also, listen, my friends, he is the dividing line. You're thinking, what do you mean? I thought Christianity was about bringing everybody together. I'm here to tell you the truth that Jesus rose from the dead is a decision that every single person has to make. Do I believe that or not? And that divides us into two groups. I'm not talking red, blue, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. I'm talking about believe in Christ is alive or not. Every human falls into one of those two groups. Many in this room have said, I believe. I trust that he's rose from the dead. I've trusted him with my life. I've given him my heart. Some of you are going, I haven't done that yet. Some of you are thinking, others, that's insane. Why would anybody believe that? The point comes where life ends and you have to, you will be on one side or the other. Every person on planet earth has to make a decision about what happened that day. Did he rise from the dead or not? Is he alive or not? Do you trust him or not? What have you done with this Jesus and his claim to be alive? For those who hear this story shouting, I believe... With me, you're on a road to heaven. You're going, man, this life's good. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be pain. Yes, but I know where I'm going. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he will keep me until that day. For some of you this morning, you haven't got there yet. Can I tell you something? That's okay. Keep hearing the story. Keep listening to the Spirit of God. Let him lead you to that point where you trust him. Because that's what it's all about. You're on one side or the other. I want to give you three quick thoughts about this little passage before we finish. And we'll go eat too much food and chase too many eggs. The first one is this. The tomb is indeed empty. It's empty. There's many things in life that are just true. Do you know that? There's some things in life that are just true. And you go, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Can I tell you something? Water is... Wet. I don't believe that. Guess what? Doesn't matter. It's still wet. 
I don't believe it. Oh, it still is. How about this one? The sky is always what color? Blue. It's always blue. Why? Because that's what it is. You can't change the reality that it is blue. Do you know if you step off of a a, a high bridge over a a deep canyon, you know what's going to happen to you? Yeah, you're going to fall. You know why? Gravity is true. It does not matter whether you believe it's true or not. It is true. And you're going to fall to the bottom of that chasm. And I'm here today to tell you that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And you may say, I don't believe that. That's all right. You're not there yet. There's one event in human history that divides all of humanity. You know, uh, there's a move in in our culture to do away with A.D. and and, uh, B.C., uh, before Christ, and Anno Domine, which means in the year of our Lord. We say, well, we're going to change that. We're going to call it C.E. and B.C.E. Have you all seen that? Do you realize even that move still divides human history along the same exact line? I have to chuckle. They're trying to get away from recognizing that God is in the midst of our human history, and they still can't get away with it. Why? Because he's still the center line in that, that, that transition. You go, whatever you do with it, he's still there. He, and, and, and if you don't believe it, you're not there yet, that's okay. Every person has to wrestle with the event, either you rise from the dead or not. Listen to the words of the angel when he stood watch over the tomb. He is what? Not here. He is not here. If he went period at that point, you'd go, okay, somebody stole his body. Can't do that. He is not here, but has what? Risen. Remember, he told you he was going to do it. Jesus foretold his rising from the dead many months before it happened, so why were they shocked? And the question I would ask you this morning on Resurrection Sunday is this. How will you deal with this account recorded in multiple different sources? Do you believe or not? For me, Jesus rose from the dead, just as he said he would, making new life possible. Second, the time to follow Jesus is now. You know, we like to think we're promised 70, 80, 90 years. Can I tell you something? You're not. I've stood in this building and done funerals for 16-year-olds. I've stood at gravesides and done funerals for infants. I've stood here and done funerals for 90-year-olds too. People die at all different ages. And so the time to follow Christ is not hopefully later, but now. The, the, the idea is this, following Jesus uh, it will change not just who you are in the eternity, but in the here and now. I'm reminded of the very beginning of Jesus' work on earth. He came down to the Galilee. He, he's getting ready to begin public ministry at about age 30. And he comes to the shore of Galilee. And he comes up with these, these guys who are fishermen and, and a tax collector and some others. And he begins to talk to them. And, and these are the closest friends he had on, on earth. And the ones who were with him when he performed miracle after miracle, these are the men that made up their inner circle. But think about how their relationship began. He walks up to them and says, I'd like to present to you a prospectus of an opportunity that will change your life. If we come together in this project, we will accomplish many, many, many things and help many, many people and change lives. And wait a second, I don't remember reading that in the scriptures, do you? He comes to these people and says to them basically two words, follow me. Our Western minds go, yeah, I need more than that. I need to know what it's going to cost. 
I need to know where we're going to go. We need to have a committee meeting on this one. But Jesus doesn't call us to do all that. He says, follow me. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Another place he calls another man. All he says is follow me. Come on, let's go. That's the same call he issues to you and to me. He says, I want you to follow me by faith. Take that first step and see where it goes. Follow me, the second step, see where that goes. Follow me to the third step, see where it goes. Just follow me, trust me. Have, be ready, faith in me. That's what he calls us to do. He wouldn't give us the details. He doesn't give us the plans. He just says, go, let's go. Follow me. And he hasn't quit saying that to us. Follow me. One more thought, and I'll be done. The transformation that he offers is amazing. You know, I, I grew up in a, a church that had revival services every year. Y'all remember those? We don't do that much anymore um, because we're so busy with everything else in life, not primarily. But... Uh, you could, those evangelists would come to town and they'd tell the stories of how God, they were in drugs and alcohol and all this crazy stuff. And then what? God saved them miraculously, right? You remember those stories? You go, yeah, man, those are great. And I always, as a kid, I always thought, what is wrong with me? I never did all that stuff. I mean, when you trust Christ at seven, you know, you're not running drugs to Columbia yet, okay? It just doesn't happen. And I got to wondering, what's going on? What's the deal? They have got this amazing story of transformation and change and the way their life has been moved. But I want you to hear something. Whether you're 7 this morning or 75 and you trust Christ, the transformation he offers is absolutely amazing. You're going, what do you mean? You never had all that stuff. Yeah, the amazing transformation is I didn't have to go through most of that stuff because of his presence. Y'all with me? And if you've been through that trash, he will take you out of it and set you free. There's something about following Jesus that just changes us in a way that we can never imagine. And we need to remember this reality. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and that none is righteous, no, not one. And every one of us stands in need of forgiveness. You know, so often we think, man, I'm going to be good. I'm a good, I'm a pretty good person. I get to heaven. He's going to say, well, your good outweighs your bad. Can I tell you something? Your good's not going to outweigh your bad. Because that's not how it works. He says, I want you to what? Follow me. Trust me. He goes, well, but, 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 but he might want to take me to do something crazy with my life. He might. He might actually just leave you where you are and have you be crazy or with your neighbors, you know, and talk to them and share with them and love them with the love of Christ. Because every one of us, my friend, stands in forgiveness. We need to answer his call. Jesus then tells us this through Paul. He says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what's the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. One day we can answer the call of God. And from that point forward, we begin a transformation that isn't just for a moment. It's for the rest of your life. And then it extends into eternity. So when we put you in the box and put you right down here, people will go, man, we're looking forward to seeing him again. We'll see her again because of that transformation. 
Christ wants to lead us, convict us, call us to the better walk. The question, my friends, is this. Are you ready? Have you done that? Have you come to the place where you've trusted Christ? You're probably thinking, I've got too many things to do to do that. Let me tell you something. You've got too much to do first before doing everything else is to get God, the relationship with God right. So we're going to give you an opportunity to respond here in a moment if you'd like. We'll have, love to pray with you at the front, pray over you, pray with you, show you again, pray with you to trust Christ. But the prayer is simply this. You're going, well, how hard is it? See, that's the thing. We try to make it hard. It's not. All we've got to do is say, God, God, I'm a sinner. I got that covered. I'm a sinner. But I need your forgiveness. And so I'm going to ask you, God, to let Christ come into my life and forgive me, and I'm going to follow him the rest of my days. You're probably thinking, that's it? I am convinced once you pray that prayer in earnest, he comes into your life, and he begins to guide you and lead you and convict you and direct you from that point forward. He'll take care of the rest. You go, well, I've got to do something. Yeah, you've got to do something. You've got to follow him. question is, have you done it? Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come in your house on this Resurrection Sunday to sing praises, to pray, to give, to listen to your word and be reminded of that resurrection story of Jesus. And I pray right now for those who maybe need to make some kind of decision. Lord, I pray if they need to come forward in the service, they'd do that. But Father, if they'd like to talk to somebody after the service, they'd catch myself or one of the other staff members one of our deacons and talk to them about salvation. Father, I pray your hand would be on these next few moments. We pray your blessing on us as we go through this day with our families and friends and others. In Jesus' name, amen.